Good morning. Extra points for coming out in the rain. Gosh, we sure needed it, didn't we? We are officially about halfway through the lectionary's portions of Exodus. There's 10 weeks, and we're at week five. These 10 weeks give us a brief glimpse into everything that happens in that narrative. And let me offer a brief summary of what we've heard so far. The Israelites are enslaved by Egypt, oppressed by a pharaoh who has no memory of Joseph and all that Joseph did for Egypt. Moses is saved by his mother, hidden in a basket in the bulrushes in a river where he's rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Meanwhile, Moses needs to escape Egypt as an adult. He goes to Midian where he is shepherding his father-in-law's flock. And while he is there in the wilderness, God appears to him in a burning bush and sends him back to Egypt to free the Israelites. In the midst of Moses' confrontations with Pharaoh along with his brother Aaron, God brings judgment on the Egypt, sparing the Israelites who mark their door with the blood of a sacrificed lamb, thus enacting the first ritual of the Passover. Israel then escapes Egypt through the Red Sea while the Israelites walk on dry land. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's army is destroyed by the same water. Now, there's lots of pieces missing in what I just described, but I'm not sure many of those would change the character and caliber of the story. This is a good enough summary. But that being said, I want us to root us firmly in where we are in the narrative right now today in the portion that we heard this morning. So once the Israelites arrive on dry land, the Red Sea closing behind them, the Israelites enter the wilderness of Shur. And three days later, they find water, finally, in Marah. Only the water is bitter. It's too bitter to drink. And so the Israelites begin to complain to Moses. So let's just sit there for a moment. The Israelites begin to complain, to grumble. What scholars call their murmuring tradition, or what Swifties might call their murmuring era. Moses intercedes on their behalf, also beginning a long season of triangulation between Moses and Israel and Yahweh. Moses and Israel and Yahweh. Occasionally Aaron comes alongside his brother, but what it is is a complaining that goes to Moses, who cries out to the Lord, who then responds back to Moses, who goes back to the... It's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> but nevertheless, the Lord responds here in Marah with this bitter water, showing Moses how to sweeten the water to make it drinkable. Now, at this point in Exodus, the narrator tells us this. The Lord said, if, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give heed to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. From the very beginning of this 40-year sojourn in the wilderness, Israel is assured that the Lord is with them, more than a physical or a spiritual presence. 
Yahweh says to them, I am the Lord who heals you. Now, as I sat with the Israelites this week, it was good for me to remember that they have been enslaved by Egypt for so long that no one remembers the story of Joseph and all God did for them then. This is generation upon generation upon generation of enslavement. And so we can imagine the trauma that they carry with them into the wilderness. Their concerns for their safety and their well-being are more than valid and expected. God anticipates this need and sets out to assure them. As the Israelites journey in the wilderness, God will do more than provide for them. God will heal them. So today, we find the Israelites in the wilderness complaining to Moses. And before we give them a hard time, let us consider their situation. They are in the wilderness, and no one goes into the wilderness unless they have to. But this is not the third day, or even a week into their sojourn. It's likely been about a month since Israel crossed the Red Sea. Now, as a side note, It takes about one day for some dissatisfaction to settle in on any trip that I have ever taken. And these are nice trips, right? This is no sojourner in the wilderness three weeks in Europe, right? And people are complaining because they don't like the food. So, of course, the Israelites are hungry, probably tired, and homesick. And even if that home, the one they left behind, is oppressive and hostile, they are going to complain. Change is hard, even good change. Now, I have this image in my mind of Moses at this point in the narrative. He's found a place to sit, likely, and he's got that staff in his hand, the one that he's used to break open the Red Sea, that he uses to find water. It's a very important stick. And he's holding his staff, and he's listening to the crowd grumbling before them about how, gosh, they wish they were back in Egypt, where the food was so good, and they had all the bread they could possibly want. And his own stomach begins to growl and grumble. And I wonder what he's thinking. But before he can respond to them, before he can even cry out to the Lord, the Lord interrupts. The Lord speaks to them. The Lord promises them meat and bread, bread from heaven. These are signs to the Israelites of their redemption by God. And indeed, that evening, quail covers the camp. And when they wake in the morning, they find this flaky substance, manna. What is it? Manna. Now, we hear a bit of what's really, I think, what matters most in the story this morning, but there's a whole lot more that comes later. And so I want to tell you a little about a bit the instructions that God gives Israel. We hear today that God tells them that on the sixth day, they're to gather up a double portion to prepare for the seventh day. This is to prepare for the Sabbath a day of rest. But in the verses that follow our portion this morning, God has more to say. 
God commands them, saying, Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person, according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. In other words, God tells them that when they find the manna, that each person is allotted one omer, no more, no less. Now, an omer is a simple measurement, a serving size, if you will. Now, the Israelites soon discover, because they try it out, that if they gather up too much, more than an omer per person, that it rots overnight. This makes Moses very angry that there's all these worms crawling around in the manna that God so graciously gives to them. And then, despite God telling them to gather up a double portion on the sixth day, some of them go out on the seventh day looking for more manna. Can't be that bad. They want more. But God says to them, why are you not listening to me? I told you I would give you all that you need. This is why you have a double portion on the sixth day, that you can rest on the seventh. The instructions matter. They reveal God's grace and mercy, God's healing grace and mercy for the people of Israel. It got me wondering about what the food was really like for the Israelites in Egypt. I mean, their memory tells them that they had their fill of bread and meat, and perhaps they did. It might have even tasted better than quail or manna. I don't know. But I wonder about the cost of that food in Egypt, this food that they earned or was produced by them under this extreme pressure and oppression of enslavement. While the food in Egypt may have nourished their bodies, it could not heal them. God provides the Israelites with exactly what they need, no more, no less. I am the Lord who heals you. The quail and mamma is enough. It is enough to nourish them, including rest on the seventh day. What an incredible grace! Meat, bread, rest, freely given. All God asks is that the Israelites trust this grace, that they receive God's mercy. I wonder, I wonder if we trust God's grace and mercy. Or perhaps have we inherited the murmuring tradition? The opening collect for today prayed this. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Take a moment and catalog all of our earthly anxieties. We can start at our most basic needs, the ones we need to sustain ourselves. Air, food, water. Of course, we want to be sure that we have all that we need. How, though, does our concern about these things cause us to store up or save more than we need? 
again and again in Scripture, we read that God knows we need them and provides them for us. God's healing mercy invites us to turn from these anxieties and trust God. As the enslaved and oppressed, the Israelites have spent their lifetimes working for their earthly needs. And now God has redeemed them and set them free. And while this may be a welcome change, it is an enormous change. The Israelites have to learn how to be free. God's compassion cares for them for their primary needs, an invitation to draw close and trust the holy. Now, our experience may be different from the Israelites, but we have a lot in common with them. We are not enslaved or oppressed by the Pharaoh. I wonder, though, are we free? Perhaps we are yoked to ways of being that exploit us. Our habits and our anxieties have this way of distracting us from God's desires for us. There are things in all of our lives or within our lives that inhibit our ability to receive God's grace. Change, even good change, is hard. And it can be difficult to see what God is doing because it may not be familiar or meet our expectations. There are many reasons why we, like the Israelites, have trouble receiving God's mercy. And the Lord says, I am the Lord your God, the one who heals you. May we have the courage to receive God's healings, grace, and mercy right here, right now, every day.